You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and then to mine. I call out to all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful from our ancestral lines. I call out to them to bring the legacy to us, the living, that we might be better at doing what it is that we are here to do. I call out to these uh, those who've gone before us, those who walked the land, those who lived and died, those who met the challenges of their time, to help us to meet the challenges of ours. Help us to discern clearly those things from the past that we must hold on to, we must continue to do, so that we can be good people here on this earth. And help us discern clearly those things that we must innovate and change and find the courage and creativity in our own hearts to do this, working Not only with all the aspects of our own selves, but working with others and working with our environment. We ask these ancestors to help us to be better men and women and to grow into the potential of what we were born to be. And so as these human ancestors begin to gather around and bring their legacy of human wisdom uh, with them, We reach beyond those humans to our ancestors that have been here even longer than there have been humans. We call out to our ancestors that are here in all the many other forms of life, the great diversity of that original spark of life manifest in so many forms around us. And we call out to life itself and the ancestors within it to be with us here today to help us to remember our own true nature, to not reach beyond through spiritual ambition, but to surrender into the deep, deep wisdom of who it is that we are and to bring that true song that resonates with our heart out into this great web of life. And let us remember who we are meant to be in this great oneness. And as these ancestors help to put us into perspective, we give gratitude for their presence and continue to call them in. And as these ancestors in their many forms gather round, let's take a moment and take some responsibility to call ourselves in, calling us from wherever we might be multitasking throughout our day into our own mind and from our mind into our own hearts and from our hearts into our bellies. And clearly, we need to call out to the spirits of technology. You know, I was given a message um, a couple months ago, actually, to build a power object to the spirits of technology to support all the new um, online classes that I'm planning over the next several years. And I haven't done it yet. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe I need to get on that project. So oh, let's all take a nice deep breath, give gratitude to all of the energies above, below, those around us, to our hearts, 
to give gratitude for all that is here to support us in the very strange and wonderful time in which we have all chosen to incarnate as humans and be alive. So we give thanks to all the spirit help that we have for this day. We give uh, gratitude uh, to the people that support this show and to the ancient ones who have held on to this wisdom that we could continue to connect. To all the many things that come together, we give thanks. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. And so, with enormous gratitude, I want to give thanks to Laura and Christopher and Michelle, to Daisy Press, to Eleanor, to Gaia, to Katie, Ariane, Kelly, and all of the listeners who have donated to the show financially. If you're listening for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is listener-supported. It is because of donations from listeners like you that we are able to keep the show alive and going now into its ninth year, I think, um, every Tuesday. And that the archives of the shows are kept um, online and free for anyone in the world who can get onto the internet to, internet to access and listen. And it is with enormous thanks that I um, accept these offerings. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click the support button, scroll down, donate any amount, large or small, in any currency. And we are deeply grateful for all of it. So if this show moves you in any way, whether it moves you into inspiration and excitement about trying something new or it frankly pisses you off because you're irritated by what has been said, just know that either way, you've been moved. You've been moved in the heart. And I ask you to do that most central of all shamanic things, which is to allow that which moves you in the heart to motivate your actions here in the world. And I ask you to do something to help the show to grow. If you cannot donate financially, please uh, step up in your creativity to know the many other ways that you can support the show. Money is not the only thing that makes things grow. And so I ask you to continue to do those things that you're doing to help the show to continue to be valid, to be uh, helpful, to useful for us, all of us who are exploring how is it that we make shamanic skills and practices practical and effective here in our contemporary lives. And so for those of you that are doing that, thank you very much. Thanks for sharing your questions. Thanks for listening. So today we are live. Um, if you have questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938. You can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site where you're listening live. And you can always email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. It seems maybe I've been given a message here uh, from technology to let you all know what I keep forgetting to save enough time at the end of the shows to let you know about. Uh, this year I've been spending a lot of time exploring um, deeply how do we offer live transformational online teachings around aspects of con- the contemporary application of shamanism. Um, and I'm doing this largely because of you all, those of you who listen to the show, frankly, all over the world, and people that will never be able to come to the cycle teachings themselves. And so um, over the next several years, um, I hope to offer an ongoing training, not in how to be a shaman, 
but in the kinds of things we talk about on why shamanism now. In other words, how to live as a shamanic person in this contemporary world. And if you would like to be notified about these trainings, please go to lastmaskcenter.org to the contacts there, contact Andrea and give her your name and address, email address, because these will all be um, promoted basically through the internet, online, through your email address. You can also go to whyshamanismnow.com, scroll down to the very bottom, to the blue part, and enter your email address there. And that puts you on the Why Shamanism Now email list and all of these email lists will be brought together for the online training. So just seems to me I'm being told to tell you about that. So keep that in mind as we go forward here. Okay. So with that said, um, today's show is another show inspired by the show, the most recent show that I did in June with Kelly Harrell, where Kelly was talking about shamanism getting pigeonholed into this box of self-help and that's what i want to explore today um just as an addition to my little series about myth busting because i think this is kind of a contemporary myth that is um taking shape and i'd like to see that actually not happen <laughs> so anyway okay so nicholas breeze wood uh, is the publisher of the sacred hoop magazine and those of you that don't know about that should google it it's it's um a very uh beautiful and uh responsible publication about shamanism and one of the few um that is really looking at things uh at, from an educated uh, place. Um, anyway, he recently published a free issue that was essentially responding to the ongoing question of what is shamanism. And uh, it's free. Um, you can download it. I encourage you all to do that. It includes articles by many, many people responding to this question for us as contemporary people here on the planet. I personally still um, weigh in for my definition of these things in an encyclopedia of shamanism, which I wrote many years ago. I still weigh in there, um, but there's a lot of really good stuff in this download, L- really good information, really well-reasoned um, thinking by people who are actually initiated practitioners practicing, many of them shamanic healers, many of them teachers, but still people that are speaking from their education and their their experiential education. So in that, um, there's a piece by uh, Bola Banstola. And Bola is a lovely, lovely teacher. Um, he comes from Nepalese traditions. And um, part of the reason I looked at what Bola had to say in this is because Bola is actually offering uh, the next uh, ceremony in the year of ceremony. Uh, here, September, September ceremony. And I would encourage you all to join in. It's, um, it's, uh, to me, it sounds like it's going to be, oh, exactly what the world needs right now, to be honest. Um, so anyway, I was inspired by Bola's ceremony. So I was looking for some things Bola had written and, and found some inspiration for today's show. And so in, in this uh, piece that Nick published, Bola says that if we speak about shamanism, It is a way of life. Shamanic practice helps us to be more in ourselves, to be more appreciative, to honor and express gratitude in our daily lives. 
It helps us to open the fountain of wisdom that comes from the source to know ourselves better and to be one with our environment. The shamanic path encourages and helps us to create harmony and balance in our daily lives. It allows us to be open and to flow with the river of life and to be aware and alive in the present moment. The shamanic path is not limited to certain techniques, terms, paraphernalia, drums, dresses, rattles, ceremonies, or types of offerings. It is deeper, more profound, and complete in itself. So Bulla continues saying that we are still at the periphery of what I think of as a common human heritage. He says, I use this term because it is not the property of one single ethnic or tribal group, but of us all. Shamanism is not only a healing technique or practice, it is a way of life. So there's a basic context for talking today about shamanism and self-help from Bola. uh, Obviously, if you listen to Why Shamanism Now a lot, you know that I agree with what Bola is saying. The beauty of listening to it in someone else's words um, is one to honor Bola and his work, but also to recognize that there is a thread of reason that is weaving through this conversation, which frankly on social media I find um, vindictive and virulent and uh, there's so much vitriol and uh, opinion disguised as fact. And uh, in many ways I've simply withdrawn from the conversation and social media because it is simply so toxic, which simply tells me the people engaged in it are not actually engaged in shamanism because they are behaving as contemporary Western educated people, not behaving as people that have actually been transformed by their engagement with shamanism. And so I'm sharing Bola's words just because it's another voice of sanity and reason and actual experience out there in the world. And I wanted to talk uh, deeper today about this idea of shamanism getting pigeonholed as this personal process of self-help. Versus, as Bola says, it is none of these things. It is not only a healing technique or a practice. It is a way of life. So how we define these terms, shamanism and self-help, is going to matter in this discussion today. And Bola is a practitioner who feels through the experience of his practice that shamanism is a common human heritage. And unlike me, you know, shaman, uh, sorry, Bola comes through a traditional Nepalese line of practitioners. I mean, he's, he is, um, oh, let's just say indigenous to that line of shamanic work. And, and yet his experience in the work, uh, resonates deeply with what I feel I've been taught by spirit. This idea that they're deeper than all of the ways that people have chosen to practice. There is a common human heritage here and that we both feel that believing appropriation is theft and experiencing shamanism as a shared heritage are not mutually exclusive ideas. Okay, so 
we're defining shamanism for today's show and obviously for all of the Why Shamanism Now shows as a way of life, a way of life that emerges when people practice animism as the lens through which they engage in everyday ordinary life and create a working relationship with spirit through altered states as the lens through which they engage in the invisible world and their non-ordinary reality relationships. In other words, as Nicholas is is now uh, saying quite boldly, you know, that all shamans are animists, not all animists are shamans. And so we're defining shamanism as both the shamanic aspect, the altered state and the engagement with the helping spirits and the animism that is the foundational way of engaging in the world. And so shamanism here is shared beliefs and values and practices and skills that are common among animistic cultures around the world back to the whole common human heritage idea and these are people that understand oh or have not been corrupted by the idea of manifest destiny that they're people that are inherently more reasonable and scientific that they look at the world around them and realize hmm Guess I better live in harmony with this world since this world provides everything that I need to survive. It's pretty fundamental in the animist belief system is that we need to be one with the fabric of life. Uh, we are, but we need to be conscious of that and live from that perspective. And so this defining shamanism in this way looks at then there, because of this, this animistic engagement with the world versus um, a humanistic engagement with the world or human-centric engagement with the world. Um, from the animist perspective, we end up with a focus and a value for our personal responsibility uh, in our fabric of the ordinary reality and also how we're affecting non-ordinary reality. We're engaging in shamanic healing and understand that it exists as one expression of healing that humans and communities and the land might need. And that in that world, there are shamans who are trained and initiated to offer this shamanic healing. And that they are understood as specialists, just like a medicine person with their herbs um, or a particular diviner, someone who has a particular skill. In a complex community of people who are already taking personal responsibility for working with the spirits to engage with the life force in everything around them. So in other words, as we said last week, just because you can journey doesn't make you a shaman. It makes you a grown-up. Okay, so finally in this definition of shamanism, these things are all experienced – this one, two, three, and four have just did these things are all experienced in the context of the individual as part of an active, everyday, lived community life. And this, I feel, is the piece Kelly and I didn't really get into deeply, but it is largely the missing piece in people's shamanic practice. So at the simplest way of understanding this, if my personal practice with shamanism draws me into the community of the invisible world and all of the many beings I 
can become aware of and connect with through the altered states in the invisible world, it teaches me to be part of the fabric of that reality, which then informs me and educates me and allows me to heal in such a way that I am able to be part of a fabric of a human community reality in a way that my culture did not teach me. And so I don't actually believe community is just a bunch of people gathered around common interest. There's no reason for people not to gather around common interest. But I don't consider the people that I did shamanic training with, for example, my community in my everyday life. They are my friends. Some are my colleagues. We have shared beautiful experiences through common interest. But that's not a community. It's a group of people gathered around common interest, which is lovely. But it doesn't rise to the level of community that is really at the root of what Kelly and I began to talk about, which is, as Bola has also said, that if you open yourself to shamanism as a way of life, then you necessarily open yourself to the path of repairing your relationship with community in that letting your communal self develop and valuing the time and energy that must be invested then in the life of that community. In the same way, your intimate relationship will falter if you and your partner or partners don't invest time and energy in the healthy life of the relationship. And so between myself and my partner, I consider our relationship the third person in the room all the time. And that I, every day I ask myself, how do I tend that third person in a good way so that relationship gets energy and stays alive and stays healthy? Well, similarly, if we want community, we have to cultivate that communal self. And so I feel that this whole understanding, deep, deep understanding of what happens when we actually begin to practice shamanism is this piece that is missing. As Kelly said, we need your medicine now. We, meaning your community, need you to step out of your self-healing bubble, your self-help bubble, and recognize that if you are going to engage, truly engage in shamanism, it moves you out of self-help as a limitation around what shamanism can do for you into pushing you out into bringing your medicine to the world and building the community out there that can receive your medicine and put it to good use. So that's big definition of shamanism for our conversation here today. So let's get into a definition of self-help. So self-help at its best I think, in contemporary life, is when people join or form a group designed to help those suffering from a particular problem that they share and to share the practices that they have found um, to assist others in not having to reinvent that wheel, basically, in solving or addressing what it is to live with that problem or how do we – how do we? so in other words, a, a, a self-help group around grieving that is filled by other parents who have also lost a child. It's a very specific experience that is unimaginable until you're in it. And frankly, mostly everybody doesn't know the right thing to say or do for you. And so it is helpful to be with others that you know by definition have had your experience. They know your pain and thus you're already on common ground. And everything that you do from there 
builds because it doesn't require explanation. And so I think there's a beautiful um, service that we offer each other as humans and we offer to the world, which is this this possibility of coming together in this uh, form of self-help to, to help each other with whatever this particular problem might be. And so self-help groups offer the support um, of others who share your problem. And self-help becomes problematic, I think, when it plays into this do-it-yourself arena because it often creates a false perspective on what the issue really is, meaning the thing you want to do it yourself about, whatever that issue really is, and what a what a individual person should actually be able to do about it. I mean, the problem with self-help do it yourself is it implies you should be able to do it all yourself. Now, part of the powerful teaching that, and I'm, I'm, I, boy, man, in my twenties, I was way on that boat, man, happy to be there, happy to do it all myself. Didn't really trust people very much. Didn't really have a big communal self. Happy to be on the do-it-yourself self-help boat. And one of the first things the healer as a helping spirit, the archetypal energy taught me is that that was bullshit. Absolute and complete bullshit. That what we need to discern and learn to discern is what are the things only you can do for yourself. And to develop daily practices that support you in doing that. And then other than that, you need to start discerning what is actually going on, what is actually the problem. And this is, again, I turn to helping spirits for that through journeying. And then based on the answer, the diagnosis and remedy, deciding with some lucidity and clarity whether I needed to actually reach out and ask for help. And that asking for help is part of the wisdom of the healer. It's not about everybody learning to do everything themselves. That's that's a false uh, path, and I think it's deeply supported by the whole self-help, do-it-yourself aspect of um, a contemporary world that wants to sell you books and products that promise to you you can do it all yourself if you follow these five steps, if you know these three secrets, if you practice da 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 and that what what people who are truly in need don't understand is that that is marketing. It is not reality. And they, and the problem is, this is where I start getting really frustrated, is there's always just enough truth in this self-help that it catches your truth cord. But it's truth that's being misused or abused or in the wrong context. And so this is where I feel this self-help genre of writing, teaching, products uh, is uh, deeply distorting our understanding of what the healer archetype is really trying to teach us. And so the problem then with self-help, I feel, is when it focuses on this do-it-yourself practices where training is actually needed for the practices to be able to be effective. You really do need to go train with someone who actually has experience doing this, that you will not live long enough to reinvent that wheel. Or you could actually harm yourself trying to do it yourself. 
Another place uh, that it's really highly problematic is where there's no clear discernment um, between what is a person's actual responsibility, you know, what is the thing you actually do have to do for yourself and what isn't. I can't tell you what a mess people make trying to bring back their own soul parts, how much damage they do to themselves in that act. So that's an example that I see because I only offer shamanic healing. So that's the only thing that I see. And I would imagine in every other facet of human expression, the same thing is happening where people need training to do something. And um, go ahead and do it anyway because some ridiculous self-help author said, oh, if you just do these seven magic steps, you can do your soul retrieval yourself without any actual responsibility towards all of the damage they will do in people's lives with that lie while they have a best-selling book because that book tells you it's going to be easy. It's not easy. Being a human being is not easy. So the more you keep buying into that easy path – the more you will end up in that aspect. Anyway, back on point here. So the other place that I think self-help is really problematic is when it tells you this is your responsibility to do but not how to do it. In other words, that's where the little spiritual truth they've woven in there is true but the actual path they offer for you to do it is false. Okay, so self-help at its best, is the use of one's own efforts and resources to achieve things without relying on others. So self-help focuses on practices designed to assist people in achieving things for themselves. And there are things that fit in this category, Um, although those things aren't sexy. It's like energy body hygiene, but nobody wants to talk about that because nobody wants practices. They want to fix it through some big fancy ritual. Right? So you see the problem. And you see an immediate problem now if we compare the definition of shamanism from the beginning of the show with this definition of self-help. That shamanism is not about not relying on others. It's not really about achieving things for ourselves. It's about uh, defining our responsibilities in the context of the world, in the context of the environment, in the context of the community, and understanding we're in service to that as individuals. We're not meant to try to do it all of ourselves. And uh, it defines a way to live, you know, shamanism defines a way to live into that responsibility through our relationship with our spirit help. Once again, I'm not doing it myself if I have spirit help. I'm leaning into the spirit world for the answers to every single question I have that, to my mind, looks impossible. And finally, you know, shamanism really helps to clearly discern what is yours to do energetically and what is not. It is not all yours to do. It is not all mine to do in my own healing. I see a lot of practitioners and part of the wisdom of the first year in the cycle when we work with the healer is learning to discern when is it yours to do and how do you do it? And when do you need to ask for help? And what help do you ask for? And there is not a person who has come into the cycle who comes in understanding that accurately. And many people come into the cycle trained in other shamanic trainings because other shamanic trainings are usually training you to be a particular kind of shamanic healer. They are not teaching you 
how to be a human. Right? So back to the issue here that Kelly brought up, and this was back in June. It was part two of Are We Changing the Spirit World, for those of you that want to go dig it out of the archives. So in that show, Kelly challenged the notion of shamanic practice as self-help. She said, Western modern shamanism has been categorized as self-help. I mean, you can go into bookstores, and that's where the shamanism books are, under self-help, right? Literally categorized as self-help. The problem with that, Kelly says, the problem with that is that we get stuck in the calling of the wounded healer, but not the calling into shamanism as some sort of initiation. And she continues, "What I have, she says, what I've observed is that in... Um, in, the, in this movement of modern shamanism is stuck in the bowl of incomplete initiation, that we have gotten comfortable with shamanism as self-help modality, and we aren't finishing the initiation. We aren't ever bringing it to a closure. In other words, Kelly's saying that the wounded isn't becoming the healer in the wounded healer archetype, that they're staying wounded and engaging in this kind of continuous self-help as if the wound validates you as the healer instead of recognizing the whole point of that is the passage through the wounding and healing it, which validates you as the healer. So Kelly says that if we aren't bringing this phase to closure, we aren't serving a community. And she says, and we need you serving the community right now. So when uh, she continues, is kind of paraphrasing, that when we identify with the wounded healer's wound and stay in the self-help mode, she says we have avoided the middle world and the toll that this avoidance has taken on our practice. She says we no longer understand that we must behave in a certain way to avoid having a negative or problematic effect on the physical world but also the invisible world. And she says, having the experience of life is necessary, not optional. There is uh, no avoidance in this path. So once you are initiated, you still have to deal with life. And life will still be problematic. And you need to be who you are in both spaces at once, meaning the physical world and the spirit world, the world of sort of mind and spirit, uh, as well as the manifest world. Okay. And that's the calling, she says. That's the job. And the challenge continues. She says that because we have access to the practices without the common sense. Actually, I said that. She didn't say that. <laughs> she says. Um, but what she's saying is that we can slip into these ecstatic spaces, like through journeying or trance dancing or whatever. Um, and, and we then bypass. We don't deal with the physical world. We just slip back into the ecstatic space. But we are the physical world, she says. We don't get to skip this. Um, and she says emphatically, you know, heal. Get your initiation done. As she says, we need you right now. She continues on that show saying that the new age has done us no favors. She says the idea that all you have to do is to be present. In other words, I'm in my self-healing mode, but if I'm present – um, and I can truly get myself present in the moment, uh, then everything will be fine because, of course, I'm present in the moment. And the idea then is that I can now circumvent all the crummy things in life, as Kelly says. And, and then she continues, but being present 
is actually how you address yourself and the real world issues in the moment. In other words, how you deal with what is fine and what is not fine. And that being present is about how you live your life and how you take steps to bring your medicine to the world. And so this is what I wanted to dive a little deeper into today because it's a really important point that Kelly made, but that's about as deep as we went into it in the show. We sort of went off in another direction. But I'd like to put a really nice sharp point on this stick because I've thought about this a lot since June. You know, shamanic initiation, like all initiations, has a beginning and a middle and an end. It's not an initiatory experience if it has not yet ended. It's, and that's the big problem with shamanism as self-help, as I see it. So initiation of any kind, but particularly shamanic initiation, has a beginning and a middle and an end. And then it deposits you on a new shore. And in a true initiation, this new shore it deposits you on, this new life that you're about to live, is a shore that does not allow you to get back to the one that you left when your initiation began. That's an initiation not versus just a change or another valuable necessary transformation. That's initiation. Okay. So in this context, we're talking about the initiation that is taking a shamanic practitioner – from childhood into adulthood or the initiation that's taking a shamanic healer from initiate into shaman. And so in Why Shamanism Now, we're making a distinction between these two things, um, but being clear that initiation matters in both. It's just a different journey. So for a shamanic practitioner, you need to become an adult. You need to become emotionally mature spiritual adult. And that's the initiation that we're, that's what we're looking for as the new shore that you're going to get deposited on. And so the transition is from the wounded child or the highly skilled wounded child for many of you into an actual emotionally mature spiritual adult. So childhood to adulthood. For those of you that are actually called into shamanic healing, Versus simply shamanic practice, a shamanic way of life to actually be the shamanic healer within that shamanic way of life. Then the initiation is very specific and it is the transformation from your phase as initiate into the calling into actual identified shaman. And, and that is a big piece also of what Kelly is talking about. So bring your medicine. So in other words, Beyond what I was trained to do in the first 10 years of my shamanic life, um, the cycle teachings came out of that first 10 years and a way to bring – use shamanic skills to deal with our backlog of ancest unresolved ancestral energies came out of that first 10 years. So in other words, beyond what I was taught to do – the helping spirits used me to bring medicine into the world. And actually this morning I was thinking someone else who has an even uh, better example, but I'm now spacing out who that was, so I'm just going to keep going. But you get my point. I mean, 
when we move through the initiation and step into the role, whether it's shamanic practitioner in our life or shaman, the actual shamanic healer, the point is still the same is we we have the beginning and the middle and the end and we're deposited on a new shore and now we bring it bring it to the world in in how we are a lawyer how we are a parent how we are a teacher or how we practice what we're practicing but we actually are able to move out into the world and begin to develop our communal self and to express our medicine out in the world Okay, so anyway, that's for me the fundamental problem with viewing shamanism as self-help is that's antithetical because you're not into your shamanic practice or your shamanic healing if you're still in your wallowing around in your self-help place. If you're still the wounded healer, you're not the healer yet. So finish it is what Kelly is saying. So as Kelly said, we need you now, bringing it to the world. A living like a spiritual adult, not a highly skilled wounded child. And if you are called to actually be the shaman, then we need you to bring your medicine. Either step up as an initiated shaman and get to work. And as Bola says, focusing on bringing health, harmony, peace, and balance to an individual's soul parts, to an individual's family, to the environment, and the spiritual connection. So this focus that in on self-help and just the humans means you're not initiated into shamanism yet because you can't be in shamanism and be that human-centered. It's not shamanism at that point. It's just a contemporary person using shamanic modalities. Right. So staying in your self-help healing means you're neither a shamanic practitioner nor a shaman. And the challenge here in our contemporary relationship to the infamous shaman sickness, and I just re-ran my myth-busting show on that, so I'm not going to get into it. And if you didn't listen, it's in the archives. You know, not every sickness is a shaman sickness. Not every traditional initiation is an initiation for a contemporary person. In other words, just because you go off to wherever country – to experience initiation for their practitioners doesn't mean that's going to work for you. And not every initiation you paid for is going to be a true initiation. It's only an initiation if it works, if it has a beginning and a middle and an end and it deposits you on that new shore. If it lifts you out of your professional – sorry, your professional <laughs> – your perpetual self-help into the expression of your medicine in the world – this world is literally burning where I live right now. It's drowning in another part of the United States. I'm so focused on what's going on here. I'm not even knowing. Uh, there's floods all over the world, actually. I have been paying some attention. Um, but the separation and the disharmonies polluting the minds of world leaders in many countries. The world is out of balance because we are out of balance. And shit needs to get done. So as Evie, as Evelyn Reisdyke said in, her, in the show with her about shamanic activism, shamans have always been activists. So if you're, you're stuck in, in years or decades of self-healing in your shamanic practice, right? You're not in shamanism, which is by its very nature activism. The constant push to restore harmony, 
not just for humans, but for humans with the world. And right now, it is, it means you're going to be delivering bitter medicine to humans in the Western world. Sorry, let me be clear. In the privileged Western world, we are going to need to start making sacrifices of what we have considered our right to consume. And so this is what I'm saying. Shit needs to get done, people. Things need to change. And I believe, as much as I respect my brothers and sisters in other disciplines that are also saying the same thing, at this point, we need miracles. And human beings only reliably make miracles through their relationship with spirit. And that is the one thing true shamanic practice offers human beings is skillful well-developed relationships of human beings working and co-creating with spirit. So the point is you need to ask yourself, well, I am asking you to ask yourself. You can do whatever you want, but I am asking you to ask yourself, do you have the luxury of the pace of your self-help relationship with shamanism? Go ask your helping spirits. Do you have the luxury of the pace you are taking? Another question you could ask, what does the world need me to be doing right now? Go ask your helping spirits, not your higher self. What does the world need me to be doing right now? Not uh, what do I need to be doing right now? What's the next step in my self-help? It's not about you. What does the world need you to be doing? You are here for your soul's purpose, and your physical body is the vehicle for that. You need to take responsibility for both, your body and your purpose. It's about both, all the time, every day. So there's a lifetime or two difference between asking the question, what is my purpose, and what do I need to do to do that? And the question What is next in my self-healing? A world's lifetimes of difference between those two questions. And understanding that your helping spirits can only answer your question. You are the one that needs to put your question into context. And to be pushed, feel that push from your helping spirits into a shamanic way of life that helps you to understand Your body, your right to be here as a human is a rental and that the price that you pay for that, the possibility that pays for that is you living your purpose. And it is only you paying back to that cosmic order by living your purpose that you set things right with the universe here. So absolutely You need to take responsibility for your physical health and well-being. But do not do that in such a way that it takes all of your time and energy and resources and you do not actually live the purpose you've come here to live. No one is here just to heal. And so if we look at Kelly as an example of this, Kelly suffers from chronic illness. But that doesn't keep her from bringing her gifts to the world, that she doesn't see this particular chronic illness as another shaman sickness that she's going to be in. And it, her initiate her initiatory experience happened 
decades ago, right? She deals daily with chronic illness. She runs her practice. She works with people globally. She raises two kids with her husband. She is a loving spouse and tries to be a good woman in the world. So all of these things are happening because all of these are her responsibility because she's an initiated woman that is not stuck in the self-help idea that every illness is a shamanic illness. So I need to be here in my self-help place until I come out of this. But to recognize there is still illness and hardship and struggle for initiated people and that we bring ourselves into our highest state of health and well-being, whatever that might be. And right now I'm also thinking about Kelly, who is dealing with chronic illness. So we bring ourselves into our highest state of well-being when we are living our purpose. It is the cornerstone for our health and well-being. And this is why pigeonholing shamanism as self-help is an oxymoron. It's not about you. Shamanism is about you as a vehicle that brings your purpose into the world. And your questions with your helping spirits, the context in which you place your shamanic work, needs to be placed into that context by you. It's not your helping spirit's job to do that. It's your job to come to understand your shamanic work from an animistic shamanic perspective. So... The problem number two with shamanism as self-help is that often you actually need a teacher. And so in this article by Bola, he does add flat out and given his particular path of shamanism, the traditional path that he's on is very, very clear in his path. As the practitioner starts opening to the spirits, transmission can be received in different situations from different realities and different sources. Because of this, it is very important to consult a shamanic teacher in order to gain clarity and support about one is ex- what one is experiencing. What more can I say to that, people? It's very clear. This is another reason shamanism as self-help, doing it, you know, this do-it-yourself, learning, learn to be a shaman, you know, in this online um, evergreen course, read these modules, be, get PhD in shamanism is really dangerous and it's a lie. That's the other thing. I mean, I say this from my heart. It is a lie that we need to, we need help as human beings in the beginning of our practice, adjusting the discernment around our relationship with our spirit help. And really knowing what is my spirit help and what is coming out of me, what is coming out of my shadow, what is coming out of the environment, and how do I learn to know these things are different. So I I recently had a really hard uh, session with a client who was also a student of mine, and so her transformational work is, is really pretty deeply evolved. And it was hard. And it was hard because it was the deep interweaving of soul loss, ancestral issues, past life issues, issues of this life, all looping back on each other and confusing what the real path was to transformation. So this is what I'm meaning 
by needing to up your game around discernment is in and needing training because you need to know for yourself in your own journeys. Oh, and by the way, this student came in knowing what the elements were, knowing it was soul loss, knowing there was an ancestral piece, knowing there was a current life piece, and knowing there was a past life piece. She knew that from her own work, but had the wisdom to ask for help because she knew she couldn't untangle it. So it's a really good example of clear discernment of a shamanic practitioner and then knowing when to ask for help from the shamanic healer. And this is what Bola is saying. There are things you need training with. That ultimately your helping spirits are your teachers. But in the beginning, especially for contemporary people, because we don't have a lifetime setting us up for this, we need, we need training. We need help. So there are some other things in that category, but I'm going to move on to problem number three. Problem number three with shamanism as self-help is that simply that it limits the power of shamanism. It becomes self-referencing instead of soul's purpose referencing, instead of community referencing, instead of the big all that is referencing. And so engaging in shamanism as self-help limits the work to the realm of yourself and in a sense kind of what you already know. And so let me share an example of what I mean by what it would be if your own shamanism was not self-referencing but was actually community, environmentally, all that is referencing. So climate. So we have huge climate issues going on right now in the world. And by the way, Charles Eisenstein's new book is going to be a deep dive into this. And I encourage you all to pay attention to Charles and buy his new book when it comes out and read it. Um, anyway, uh, in the meantime, okay, so right now Texas is is all flooded and soggy and nasty and struggling, right? And the next hurricane is on its way. And the Pacific Northwest is on fire. Huge, huge fires burning, some naturally uh, set, some set by stupid humans, uh, ignorant, irresponsible, selfish humans. Oh, sorry, get off the soapbox. Okay, anyway, flooding and burning. So wildly elements, wildly out of balance. And so there are many people wanting, you know, what's my mental intention? What's my prayer? What's my blessing? What's my ceremony? Okay, not a bad idea to want to do something, but it doesn't show this deep understanding of a practitioner that's moving beyond this kind of self-referencing, self-help mental place, mental spiritual place into understanding what the relationships really are if we see the world from an animistic and shamanic perspective. So the heart is 5,000 times more powerful a manifester than the mind. The heart is an elemental creature. We, humanity, have driven the elements into extreme imbalance. And that is underneath the climate change, climate issue, the out-of-balance nature of things, that our oceans can't cool off. And metaphorically, symbolically, this reflects where humanity is in its heart. Not every single individual person, but the majority of humanity in its heart right now 
can't cool off. It is out of balance. Right? And so this shows that humans have this extreme imbalance in the heart. So we could work with the elements in our hearts to create balance shamanically. And then use our hearts, the heart that is now in balance, to guide the steps needed to create a profound balance in the environment. And so it's a much deeper idea from a shamanic understanding of the relationships and how we are engaged in the whole fabric of life literally and shamanically to recognize this deeper level we could be operating on and that the power in shamanism to transform comes when we leave the control of the self, of this limiting uh, bowl of self-help and we surrender to the helping spirits and we allow ourselves to be changed by something that is much larger than ourselves. We put our body, our heart in service of something much larger than ourselves. And then we draw that experience out of non-ordinary reality. And we focus on taking action to make the change real in the world. And this is why shamanism is so much more than your personal vehicle for self-help. So I give enormous gratitude to all the helping spirits that gather around us in their many forms and have patience with us to teach us again and again what humanity has already learned. May we learn more quickly. And I give gratitude to our ancestors who might help us to do that if we would only work with them. I give gratitude to the earth below and to the sky above, to the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week.